Well, good morning. It is a joy to be with you today. Let me pray for us as we begin. Father, we, uh, we thank you for this opportunity that you've given us just to study your word. Uh, Lord, we pray that we'll be faithful to your text and that your gospel will be proclaimed today. All these things we ask in your name. Amen. All right, well, I know that for the last few months, uh, we've had a lot of visitors come through our doors. And so, if you will, just allow me just to quickly introduce myself to those of you who don't know me. My name is Reed Hopkins, and I am the Minister of Education and Students here at Northside. Uh, most of the time, I'm tucked away in my office working on things behind the scenes, um, or I'm up in the youth room with the students. Uh, but every now and then, I get an opportunity like this to, uh, to stand before you and preach God's Word. And, uh, and for that, I am very grateful. So uh, for those of you who are excited to wake up this morning and, and continue to hear Pastor Scott preach on 1 John, I've got uh, good news and bad news for you. Uh, Larry's already told you what the, the bad news is. Scott's not here, so you're stuck with me. Uh, but the good news is I don't preach for 45 minutes. So that's right. So if you're like me and you rarely eat breakfast, I promise that you'll make it to lunch at a decent time today. So, well, uh, throughout this entire series on 1 John, there has been an overarching theme that we have been uh, looking at in every single passage of Scripture that we've studied. There's this idea of fellowship that we are constantly reminded of, constantly being confronted with. And as we've discussed several times over the last few weeks, uh, fellowship is more than just getting together with other believers. It's more than playing on a fantasy football league. It's more than quilting or scrapbooking with your church friends. It's more than getting together like we did uh, yes, or last week after homecoming and eating fried chicken and mashed potatoes with our, with our church folk. It's more than that. We even try to schedule times of fellowship, uh, but that doesn't necessarily mean that fellowship is going to take place, does it? It's kind of like when a church schedules a revival. We somehow think that we have the power to, to force revival to take place simply because we put it on our Google Calendar. Do you see how ridiculous that sounds? I mean, revival is only going to take place if God moves in the lives of His people and that they are faithful to His Word and faithful to gospel proclamation. That's the only way revival is going to take place. So putting an appointment on a church calendar means absolutely nothing. So just like we're fooling ourselves if we think we can just schedule a revival, we're fooling ourselves if we think we can just schedule fellowship. It doesn't necessarily mean that fellowship is going to take place. So what is fellowship? Well, this idea of fellowship is deeper than socializing. You see, what usually happens is this when we get together. We talk about weather, we talk about the sports, we talk about the news, we talk about other insignificant things just to pass the time. And don't get me wrong, we have found ways to enjoy this, but in the process of doing this, we end up shortchanging ourselves. Fellowship is supposed to be so much deeper, so much more. True fellowship implies that we understand the significance of unity with one another. Are we there for one another? Are we helping one another? Are we encouraging one another? And not just superficial encouragement like, you sure do look nice today, or great job on that pecan pie last week for homecoming. I mean, Instead, encouraging people should be more like this. Are we encouraging people to become more like Christ? Are we encouraging each other in godliness? Are we encouraging each other to be in the Word? Are we encouraging each other to be victorious over sin? And are we helping them see that victory? Those are the kind of conversations that we should be having. Those are the kind of conversations that would allow us to have the kind of fellowship that it is that we desire at this church. 
So this morning, I hope to continue taking us down this path by looking at our next passage of Scripture. So if you have your Bible with you, let me get you to flip over to 1 John chapter 4. Uh, we're going to be looking at verses 7 through 21. First John chapter 4, verses 7 through 21. This morning I'm going to be reading from the NIV. If you have a different translation than me, that's okay. It's just going to sound a little bit different. This is uh, verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. We know that we live in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him and he in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. In this way, love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. Because in this world, we are like him. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command, whoever loves God must also love God his brother. Now, in this passage of scripture, we are faced with a question that we must address, and that is, can we love God without loving others? Now, I think that most of us know that we are supposed to love others. I mean, if they're lovable, we'll love them. And if they're not lovable, then oh well, they get what's coming to them, right? It's their own fault for not being lovable. I tried, but since they're not lovable, then oh well. Well, let me remind you of what Jesus had to say about this in Matthew's gospel. Uh, this is Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 through 47. I'll give you a second to flip there if you want, but keep your, keep your thumb right there at 1 John 4. We're coming right back here. So this is Matthew chapter 5, verse 43 through 47. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. All right, so clearly from this passage, we see that we are supposed to love others. Uh, look again um, at verse 46 and 47, though. Check this out. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. 
Now, last year I teached a message on, uh, or preached a message on Luke 15, and uh, it was titled Lost and Found. And in that message, I explained why tax collectors were such a hated group of people in their communities. I'm not going to go through that explanation again this morning. It's available online if you want to go back and hear it. But for the sake of our time, just trust me when I tell you that tax collectors were seen as traitors in their community. They weren't just hated because they're collecting taxes. It wasn't like, you know, our distrust of the IRS or something. These people were sellouts. These people were handing their people over to be killed uh, by the Romans. And so Jesus is saying in Matthew that if these tax-collecting traitors know how to love those who love them, then the expectation for followers of Christ is even higher. And he goes on to talk about uh, the pagans. It goes, he says, if these unbelievers know how to greet their brothers, then the expectation is even higher for those who believe in Christ. So I think that we can all agree that we should love others, but we still haven't answered my question from earlier. And that is, can we love God without loving others? Is this even possible? If we withhold love from others, is it possible for us to have a right relationship with God? And that's what we're going to unpack this morning. Uh, I think clearly we see that the answer is no. Uh, I think that clearly we see that it is impossible to love God without loving others. And what we're going to do this morning is very simple. I want us to go verse by verse through 1 John chapter 4, 7 through 21, and I want us to break this passage down. Uh, there's some serious truth claims in these passages. And uh, if we're not careful, it's very easy just to skim right past them. And as we do this, we're going to see five different reasons uh, why we should love others. And so what I want us to do is I want us to start back at 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. And uh, we're just going to go from there. This is 1 John 4, 7 through 8. Dear friends, let us love one another. For love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. And your first point is this. We should love one another because love comes from God and we know God. We should love one another because love comes from God and we know God. All right, this first point is plain and simple. One of the reasons why we should love other people is because uh, love comes from God and we claim to know Him. I mean, plain and simple, it doesn't get any easier than that. But look at what verse 8 says. It says, if we don't love, then that means that we don't know God. Now, why is this? And it explains it in the passage. Because God is love. So if we don't know how to love others, what that means is we don't know God. That's what that means. So what does it mean then to know God? Well, in the original language, in Greek, the word know right here is in a present active form. Okay, so basically what this means is that it is a current thing. We currently know God. This is an active knowledge. This implies a relationship. It's more than just intellectual knowledge about God. Look at what the text says. Verse 8, whoever does not love does not know God. It doesn't say whoever does not love does not know about God. It says that they don't know God. It says that they don't know Him. So we see here that we should love one another because love comes from God and we know God. All right, let's keep reading. This is verse 9. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And this is your second point. We should love one another because God sacrificed his son for our sins. 
We should love one another because God sacrificed his son for our sins. All right, so we just saw in verse 8 that God is love. Well, how then has God showed his love for us? Well, verse 9 explains this. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. So let me ask you, how is this, how is this loving? Why was it loving for God to send his son into the world? I mean, you don't have to answer, but just think about it for a second. Why was that a loving act? Because we were in desperate need of a savior. According to John's gospel, not, not first John, but Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. If we go back to John's gospel, Jesus called us slaves to sin. Check this out. You don't have to turn here. Just listen. This is John chapter 8, verses 34 through 36. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now, a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. All right, so when Jesus came, he brought freedom to those who put their faith in him. He forgave them of their sins. So was it loving then for God to send his son? Absolutely, you bet it was. Now listen to what Paul had to say about this. This is Galatians 2.20. Most of you in here have this verse memorized. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So see, when we put our faith in Christ, what we are doing is we are putting our old life of sin to death and we are given a new life in Christ that should be concerned with giving glory and honor to God. This is the picture that we see in baptism, right? The person goes underneath the water to symbolize their old death or their old life being put to death and they come back out of the water to symbolize a new life in Christ. So when 1 John 4, 9 said that he sent his son into the world that we might live through him, well, how do we do that? Well, Paul answered that force in Galatians 2.20. As we just saw, it says that we live by faith in the Son of God. Now, why do we do that? Because he loved us and gave himself for us. That's why. We live by faith in the Son of God because he loved us and gave himself for us. So 1 John 4, 10 through 11, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So since God sent his son into the world as an atoning sacrifice for our sins, we see that it is our our responsibility now to love others. And let us never forget, by the way, that we were the ones who deserved to be hanging on the cross that day. Those were our sins being paid for. Jesus was completely innocent. And that's why this passage says that it was an atoning sacrifice for whose sins? Our sins. All right, let's keep reading. This is uh, 1 John 4.12. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. We know that we live in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him, And he and God. So we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. And this is your third point. We should love one another because God lives in us and we live in him. We should love one another because God lives in us and we live in him. 
All right, look back at verse 12. He starts it off by saying that no one has ever seen God. Now, this is kind of just an odd statement in the middle of this argument, if we're honest. It kind of comes from nowhere. Um, here he is talking about love, talking about why we should love others. And then he says, oh, and no one has ever seen God. It kind of comes from nowhere. But check this out. This is what he's trying to say. He follows it by saying, if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. So even though no one has ever seen God, that's okay. Now, why? Because they've seen us and God lives in us. In other words, when someone sees you, they should see God. Now, obviously, this is not literal. When they look at you, they're not going to truly see God. But it's like when you meet the son or a daughter of someone that you know, and you say, wow, I see so much of your father in you. Well, in the exact same way, when someone looks at us, they should be able to say, wow, I see so much of the heavenly father in you. All right. Now, how do we know that we live in God and God lives in us? Let's look back to verses 13 and 14. We know that we live in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. All right, so we know that we live in God and that God lives in us in two main ways, okay? The first way is because God has given us of his Holy Spirit. We see that in verse 13. And the second way is because there were eyewitnesses who testified that Jesus was really who he said he was, namely the Son of God and the Savior of the world. And we see that in verse 14. All right, so who are these people then? So we know how we, know how we live in God and how God lives in us. Well, then who are these people who have God living in them, and who are these people who are living in God? Verse 15 and 16 explain. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him and he in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. So who are these people? There's two groups. The first group is anyone who acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God. We see that in verse 15. And the second group we see in verse uh, 16, anyone who lives in love. But check this out. You're only going to live in love if you have acknowledged that Jesus is the son of God. So if you've acknowledged Jesus is the son of God, you're living in love. So that's, those are the two things right there that we see. These are the people who live in God and have God living in them. All right, let's keep reading. Verse 17. In this way, love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment because in this world, we are like him. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. All right, so your fourth point is this. We should love one another because we have confidence regarding the day of judgment. We should love one another because we have confidence regarding the day of judgment. If you have put your faith in Christ for the salvation of your soul, you are forgiven of the sin debt that you owe. And not just the sins that you've committed up to this point, all of your sins, your past sins, the sins that are currently present in your life, and the sins that you have not even yet thought to commit yet, okay? So all of your sins are forgiven. And on the day of judgment, you can still have confidence that your soul will be saved because according to verse 17, love is made complete in you. So if you're a follower of Christ, then you know what it means to love God and to love others. But hear me carefully, though. This love that's made complete in you, that's not what saves you. Faith in Christ is what saves you. But this love that's made complete in you is evidence pointing to your salvation. 
All right, but on the flip side of confidence, we have fear. Look at verse 18 again. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. So according to this passage, the one who fears the day of judgment is someone who does not know God. If you know God, then you have confidence that you're forgiven and you have confidence that your soul will be saved on the day of judgment. But if you don't know God, then love has not been made complete in you and you still fear the day of judgment. That's what this passage is saying. So our confidence in our eternal security should cause us to love others. All right, let's keep reading. This is verse 19. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command, whoever loves God must also love his brother. And your fifth point is we should love one another because he first loved us. We should love one another because he first loved us. All right, now people sometimes get confused at verse 19. So I just want to kind of explain this really quick for you guys so that in case you ever run across somebody who, you know, kind of asks you about this, you'll have the ability to respond. They say, this verse doesn't quite make sense. So verse 19, what does it say? We love because he first loved us. They say that doesn't quite make sense because unbelievers know how to love also. Or the way that I hear it in in student ministry often is, well, unbelievers know how to help old ladies across the street too. Don't Don't they know how to do good things also? Aren't they still loving people? Well, Yes and no. What we have to affirm is that there are different kinds of love, okay? Um, Even if we back away from the theological aspect of this argument for just a minute, um, everybody will still have to agree that there are different kinds of love. For example, let me just give you a silly example. I love Chicago deep dish pizza. Like, you've got no idea how much I love this stuff. If you have never been to Chicago and and eaten at Giordano's, then you have no idea what you are missing. It is un believable pizza, all right? So if you like deep dish pizza, raise your hand. All right, it is unreal. And every year for my birthday, Sarah picks up the phone, she calls Giordano's in Chicago, and she tells them, I'd like to place an order. And they deliver it, not really, and they're not literally driving. But check this out, here's how they do it. Here's how she can order a Chicago pizza for me for my birthday. She picks up the phone, places the order, they stick your pizza in the oven, and they cook it halfway. As soon as it's halfway done, they take it back out of the oven, put it on dry ice, and overnight it to your house. Then when you get the, when you get the package in the mail, so UPS shows up or whatever, you take it out of the box, put it back in your oven, and you finish cooking it. And it is unbelievable how good this pizza is. All right, I even have a picture for you. Go ahead and, and pop that up. And look at that thing. It's probably a mistake for me to show you this at lunchtime. But my goodness, it is so good. All right, so hear me, hear me. I love Chicago deep dish pizza from from Giordano's. It's unreal. All right, now I also love my family. Me and Sarah have been married for more than five years now, and I could not have asked for a better wife. I told you guys when I came on my very first uh, Sunday to preach with you guys that I married up. And that was true on the day I preached it to you, and it's still true today. I think all of you would agree that she is the better half of this relationship. 
And that's right, we're getting amens for that. Uh, and Liam, my goodness, have you ever met a cooler kid? I mean, like, Liam is the coolest kid I have ever met. Every single day that passes by, the love that I have for my family continues to grow. All right, so hear me. I love Chicago deep dish pizza from Giordano's, and I love my family. I think everybody would recognize that the way I'm using the word love right there is different. I'm not going to take a bullet for some stupid slice of pizza. You know what I'm saying? But I would for my family. Well, in the exact same way, that's what's happening in this particular verse. We love because he first loved us. This love is not some superficial love for pizza. It is a perfect love that only comes from the Father. It is a divine love that originates with God, and we only have the ability to love others in the same way if God is living in us. All right, so John continues. Check this out. In verse 20, he addresses the people who say that it is possible to love God without loving others. Now, remember, that's what we're talking about today. The title for our sermon is, Can We Love God Without Loving Others? And so he addresses it right here. Look at what he says. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. Now, you guys remember verse 12? Remember when he kind of came in out of nowhere with this odd statement about nobody has ever seen God? Well, he kind of comes back to it right here, and he addresses this idea of seeing and not seeing. He goes back to this, but this time he takes it a step further. This time he says that if you claim to love God but don't love your brother, you are a liar. He explains that if you can't even love your brother whom you can see, then you don't love God at all. And then he wraps it up by stating a simple command. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. All right, so let's bring this thing in for a landing. This morning I asked us a simple question. Can we love God without loving others? Is this even possible? And this morning we have seen that the answer is clearly No. If we say that we love God, we have no option but to love others. And there's five reasons why. First, because uh, love comes from God and we know God. Because God sacrificed His Son for our sins. Because God lives in us and we live in Him. Because we have confidence regarding the day of judgment. And because He first loved us. So in conclusion, I have just one simple question that I want to leave you with. And that's if you claim to love God... Are you loving others? Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for today, and we thank you that we have the opportunity every single Sunday to gather as we do to study your word. And Lord, I pray that you will convict our hearts on this issue that we have addressed this morning. Lord, if we, if we claim to love you, help us to love others in a way that, that honors you. And Lord, uh, we just pray that if we don't Um, know what it means to be a follower of Christ. Lord, if there are unbelievers in our congregation today, Lord, we pray that today will be the day of salvation. And so be with us as as we wrap up this time together and just move in this place. All these things we pray in your name. Amen. Well, guys, we're about to enter into our time of response. Uh, The musicians are going to play, and Will is going to lead us in song. Uh, The altar is going to be open for you if you want to come and pray. Uh, We'll have pastors down front if you need to speak with anybody. Uh, This morning, you've heard a lot about love, 
And you've also heard that God died. God sent his son, Jesus, to die for your sins. If you are confused about that, if you don't quite understand what it means to be forgiven of your sins, let me encourage you to come and speak with somebody down front right now. Uh, I promise you that we'll be more than glad to answer any questions that you have and help you understand how today you can be saved. Let's go ahead and stand and sing.